Welcome back to Streaming Science. Streaming Science is a multimedia, student-driven science literacy program. We work to connect you with scientific content to enrich your everyday life. I'm your host, Zoe Bowden, a graduate agricultural communication student at the University of Florida. This episode is part of a series covering the science of superstorms. The superstorm is defined as a large destructive storm such as a hurricane. Our guest today is Mr. James Fletcher, a UF IFAS extension agent. His work centers around the use of drone and sensor technology to determine irrigation demands and scheduling, as well as nutrient loading in plants. In this interview, we will be discussing how he adapted his technology to meet the needs of superstorm recovery after Hurricane Michael devastated the Florida Panhandle in 2018, as well as the important implications his technology has in a future disaster recovery. This is all brand new. So, you know, if you look back, Matthew was probably the first storm. Maybe that was, what, 2016 or so that came through here and then went to the Carolinas. Um, we were just beginning to use that technology. Uh, but that was sort of the first thing that we began to realize that, hey, maybe maybe these drones can do uh, more than, you know, what, taking pretty pictures. And so when the last hurricane came through and went up through the uh, panhandle, um, of the state of Florida realizing how um, important this technology is has actually created a drone working group within um, the emergency management system. And so these are uh, uh, it's industry folks, it's government folks, and it's work, you know we've gotten together and trying to, to work out how, how do we use this technology, how do we communicate it to everybody. And so I, I got involved with that probably a little more than a year ago. And so this was the first real concerted effort by Florida and probably um, uh, really in the United States of, of starting to use this drone technology. And so my specific area, I was, I was not involved in the human factor side of it. So where they were, we saw a lot of the drone imagery looking at, you know, the devastation that was done up there. And it, it was, I, you know, you can't describe it. Even those pictures don't describe the devastation that was up there. We, uh, I was asked to go up there uh, to look to see if we could not help uh, speed along the estimates for crop damage. Um, to the various commodities and specifically up there at that time there was corn cotton and soybeans and then obviously a lot of structural damage so we went up there to try to uh, see if we could determine if we could use this as sort of a quick tool um, to uh, start processing these disaster estimates or crop loss damage estimates and so uh, having just you know basically one shot of it we got some very good in, uh, information and we're still processing it because this is a lot of what we call large data and so the ability now with the technology that we have that we can put all this together on you know one server whether it's an amazon server or you know, the university of florida where we can put this enormous amount of data and start compiling it that's what's going to help us so not that i want any more disasters but you know having more of those will be able to fine-tune our process (laughs) but what we did find is that you you can see using an rgb sensor so a regular picture sensor it's very easy to uh, see the damage and do estimates on that damage Uh, we were not as successful with our multi-spectral imagery uh, solely because um, the, what a multispectral sensor does is looks at whether the plant is alive or dead. So you get either a green image varying down to a red image if it's dead. And the problem is we went up there two weeks after the, you know, 10 days after the um, uh, 
um, hurricane came through there. And in fact, the plants were still dying. So although we can see uh, the death happening in, in plants that obviously died, a lot of the other uh, plants had not gone through their full, full senescing. So um, you would have to go back and check those plants again to get an accurate um, um, estimate of, of what uh, the actual crop damage was. The other thing we realized is that although the you know the algorithms out there are not bad, uh, they we still need to work on them. So one thing that would have helped us that we don't have is what we call a lidar sensor, and that would have helped us really with some of the crop damage going along the lines with cotton because um, uh, a lidar image uh, basically will give you. Um, what would you call it, a contour kind of map. And so you can actually see the heights of the plants. You can see the, the cotton on the ground, and then you can start to estimate those. We can loosely do that um, with the technology we have now, but it's not as accurate. So again, uh, that's where we're referencing this technology. This is how we're learning um, what tools we need and, and how we need to, to use the tools more effectively. That's that's so cool. I had I had no idea that we actually even had the technology, like you said, the the multispectral sensing. Right. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. To to be able to tell the whether the plant is alive or dead. I didn't even know that that kind of technology existed. So that's that's very cool to hear about all the different methods and technologies that can be applied to that hurricane recovery or that disaster recovery process. Um, but I just wanted to kind of go. Why is why is it so important to do uh, these? to assess the crop damage after a natural disaster? Why is that such an important thing to do? Well, in order uh, uh, for our producers to get the uh, same sort of um, recovery dollars to help them through the process, we have to, you know, what happens is that um, uh, either a crop estimator, a county extension agent, whoever the person happens to be, will go out and they will do a quick assessment for USDA. USDA then actually, through um, they will put together all those estimates and they will then ask for a formal declaration. And that's where the president comes in and Congress comes in and then we get that federal designation. What that then does is allows money to start flowing. And so uh, what we're trying to do is to capitalize on this technology and get that done quicker so that USDA can make those disaster declarations quicker and provide assistance to our producers. Okay, absolutely. Because, I mean, obviously a disaster like Hurricane Michael, like many people have lost their homes, but especially for these producers, they have not only lost their homes, but they've also lost their livelihood in this disaster. Yeah, and, so I can and see more, more importantly, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not only their livelihood, but it's basically can put them out of bankruptcy. So oh, most wow. of these producers, you know, um, although people think that they are rich, in reality, they are land rich. They do have land, but they're not, um, they don't have cash in the bank, so to speak. So what they have to do is they go borrow money from the bank, you know, every year to plant their crop. And then mm-hmm. once they harvest the crop, then they have to pay back the loan. Well, if the crop gets damaged and they don't get any harvest or they get a reduced yield, they can't pay back that loan. And then it's typical with banks, you know, in order to cover their stuff, they go after them, the land or whatever, which forces the producer then to make some decisions on how he wants to move forward. And so that's why if we can, you know, get that money to them to help them at least, you know, pay off some of those debts that they have so that they can Mm -hmm. continue farming, that's what we're trying to do. I've actually never even thought of it that way. I was just thought of it as like, that's their, their job, but you're right. Like it, 
it's hard to finance upfront that kind of production. Correct. Yep. Not only with the equipment, I mean, you know, you're looking, you know, these tractors and this new technology, you know, tractors, $100,000, you start putting in this precision ag equipment that they're using that, you know, what we're force feeding them with the drone, that's what we're hoping to do. Uh, but that technology, when they buy that piece of equipment, you know, a variable rate applicator, another 100000 So you can easily see that just an equipment cost, even a small farm, you know, of let's say 400 acres, they're still going to have, you know, half a million, three quarters of a million dollars in equipment. Uh, plus their land and all that. And it was unbelievable to see the center pivots. So these are these are operations that uh, a center pivot uh, irrigates the land, waters the land. So it's one mm-hmm. area that we're looking at. And uh, the devastation of these center pivots, I mean, it was amazing to see these things toppled. I've never seen one turned over. These things were turned over upside down. I mean, you know, loosely, you would think they would move in the field because they're on wheels. But I guess the force was so strong from the wind, it just basically twisted them. Each one of those wow. center pivots is a considerable amount of money. So that's, that's what we're trying to, to do. And if we can do that, uh, then I think we'll be successful. Yeah, no, I mean, it's hard, especially right after a disaster like that to be able to really take account for for the damage that has been done and what's happened. Um, Especially if, if, you know, it's been difficult to access, maybe there's flooding, maybe there's trees down to be able to be able to get to other places as well. Um, I I wanted to ask you, was it what was it like to to talk? Did you like, did you speak to the farmers before going on and, and surveying or flying your drones? What was it like to talk to them and explain what you were doing? Um, you know, they were, uh, you know, I, I'm still in the sense we were up there that they probably, you know, uh, they were, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say they were in shock, but I don't think they'd put it all together. They were trying to, you know, get everything and take care of business up there. So they had real issues. So, you know, we're talking, this was in November, they were trying to harvest peanuts. So that was their main concern is that they had to get the peanuts out of the field before the frost hit. And so they were trying to figure that out. And then, of course, what happened with the hurricane, you know, as their concern was, as I we sat waiting for two hours, talked to one producer because he was trying to market his peanuts. And, you know, these are the ancillary things we don't think about in the fact that, okay, I, I can harvest my peanut, but where do I take them? All the grain elevators were destroyed or they were without oh. power. So there was nowhere for them to take their peanuts. So they were, in fact, calling, you know, they were, you know, we're over in Calhoun County. They were calling all the way over to Madison County to try to see if they could get the elevators over there to take their peanuts. So their main thought at the time wasn't much interest in me. They were interested in how do I get my crop out of the field that isn't damaged and how do I get it to market so I can at least recover some of my income. And that's what uh, they were doing. Uh, and on you know, that one producer um, we went that way two hours uh, as we were doing his property it wasn't just that he had just finished a brand new elevator and uh, it had been open a week and the hurricane came right through there and I mean it was unbelievable just twisted the entire elevator so just a massive metal and so it had been open less than a week he was trying to deal with insurance companies and so that that was where their focus was uh, yeah no that's that's absolutely tragic to have that happen I mean to all of your things like and okay. I, I can see how how someone coming in to survey the land may be a less important <laughs> in yeah. the moment <laughs> yeah in the moment right 
So yeah. and they were very appreciative, though, anything that anybody could do. So, I mean, the extension agents up there were just fantastic to work with. They lined up the places that we needed to go. They talked to the producers. The producers wanted anything and everything, you know, to, to help them. And so they were, I mean, they were happy to see this technology. They'd heard about it. They hadn't completely understood it. You know, we did visit with them on that. And so, mm-hmm. the, you know, I, they were very interested in it. And I, it will be something that will be very useful to them. It's just where their priorities were yeah absolutely i did want to kind of go back a little bit and ask you a question Mm -hmm. just for my own understanding when you were saying you can sense the whether the plant is alive or dead at the time Mm -hmm. what is it that was taking so long to impact these plants was it like being uprooted was it flooding what is what's damaging the crops so on the on the Crops that were either flooded or pulled up by the wind, that's where the senescence or the death took, took, mm-hmm. um, uh, went very quickly. So uh, those plants you can easily tell. So and I'll, let's use an example, say tomatoes, which is one of the areas that we did some flying on. So these tomatoes are staked mm-hmm. and they're tied up. And so in areas of the field, you can see, you know, we can definitely see where the tomatoes were ripped out, the stakes were ripped out, you can see that. But as with wind, it's not consistent everywhere. So what happens is that some of the plants actually just blow over. And so mm. the stakes are blown over, but they're just blown over into the, in the row, but the roots are still on the ground. Okay. So they're still kind of growing and it's kind of lack you know, better word, they have a slow death, if you will. So instead of um, being uprooted and killed, you know, within a 24-48 hour period, um, that process will take three to four to five weeks. Okay. So that's, that's sort of what the, the issue is. Now, that being said, that's the one thing about NDVI, which is what we were using there, the, the, what we call a normal uh, differential vegetative index, which is um, what is used to look at the reflectance of the plant, giving you either the green color for healthy or red color for, for death. Mm-hmm. So you can begin to see, you know, the plants as they go through that senesce. They'll go from a green to kind of a yellow color on the map when you look at it to finally the red color. And so it's a process that it goes through. So we could we can make estimates, but um, we just, you know, the, they're models. And so as we develop these models, the more information we can come back and put in the model by ground truthing, the better it becomes. We were happy to do this the first year. Like I said, we need to continue doing it so that we can feed it information to make it more accurate. Okay. Yeah. And and speaking of going forward, was there were there any obstacles you encountered that you or anything that you would change differently, um, kind of doing this process again? Well, the biggest thing you know that that is a factor in limits is uh, um, batteries with the drones, because right now for all intents and purposes, most of the drones we use now are a quadcopter, hexcopter, and they normally take one or two batteries, and they'll fly maybe 30 minutes on those oh, two batteries. Wow. And so you got to bring it back, you got to load in another set of batteries, and so um, then you got to go fly. So we were able to capitalize and get some funding to get this done. So we were able to buy additional batteries. So mm-hmm. I have, I think we have 16 batteries. But again, that, that's a limiting factor on, on how much acreage we can do in a day. Right. But that, that technology is changing. We're just in the process now. Um, we're bidding it out. Actually, I hope it'll 
be here in the next couple months of a new quad copper that's gas powered. And so this this um, uh, quad copper drone, whatever you want to call it, will stay in the air for three to five hours. Wow, so okay. be able to do extended flying. And that's why I'm saying the technology is changing. So, you know, the, this first drone, it was battery powered that I bought. Um, I, let's see, I was two years ago, that was $10,000 for the drone itself. Wow. And probably pick it up for 5,000. The drone we're looking at now is in the neighborhood of close to 40,000. Two years okay. ago, that would have been 120, 130,000. Right. So that's how the technology is dropping. And those are the things we need. Uh, we need the ability to, to fly large uh, chunks of land at a time. And, and that will help us. So that that's the biggest obstacle. Yeah, of course. And, and especially if like if what you're saying about having to collect more and more data, if you can fly your drone further and longer, that, that automatically means right. you can process more information. It, exactly and so and also the other thing is that what this new drone will do and, it, and i should have said you know that was the biggest factor the other factor is is that the drone we have now has what we have what we call one gimbal so what that means is that i can put one sensor or one camera if you will at a time okay. so if i fly the rgb and then i come back with a multispectral or thermal i'm <laughs> flying it at a different time so mm. then i have to line everything up and, yeah. and believe it or not those those small things do make a difference. So with this, the other thing that we have capability with this new piece of equipment buying is it will have a larger payload. So we will actually mount all three sensors. So we'll have a multispectral, a hyperspec, I mean, a thermal and a LIDAR on all at one time. Okay. So we can fly it all at one time and we don't have to worry about the extra time, right. the extra batteries, and plus the images will all line up uh, with a timestamp at the same time. <laughs> that and sounds again, far more efficient. <laughs> It is, and that's how this technology is working. And mm -hmm. That's uh, that's what we're trying to get to. And so it'll be amazing to see where we'll be in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we never wish for another another disaster like that to come through. But it mm -hmm. is kind of exciting to see how that's going to adapt moving right. forward. Yep. So we'll see. Yeah. So I was also kind of wondering, um, since I know most of your daily work has to do more with water water conservation water cleanliness do you think there's mm -hmm. any applications as far as using your technology in disaster recovery towards uh how water is impacted by those same disasters um so we can look at water flow and although we didn't do it up there, it's something I'm just starting to do and I'm in the fields now working with producers. So we can loosely start, you know, looking at elevation data so we can start to see how water flows across uh, the land. And so that's important, particularly as we start looking at drainage characteristics. And so um, not only, you know, in the field now, whether it's a disaster recovery situation, we can start to map that out. So you could look at flooding characteristics. You can do that kind of stuff very easily um, with the drones, even with what we have now. Now, if we get a LIDAR sensor mounted, it'll be even more efficient because you'll really get a good 3D image, which is what, what really helps. Yeah, of course. I mean, I know in, in Gainesville, when the hurricanes have come through here, I know a lot of the, the damage actually had to do with flooding of like the rivers and of, of Paints Prairie afterwards, um, right. once like the streets and everything drained off. So I, I, I was just wondering like to see managing and understanding where that water is going is an important part of the long-term recovery of the area. Yes. 
And so, you know, that's, again, a different facet than what I do. And that's what's, you know, important what the state's doing. They recognize that this technology serves so many different facets of our industry out there. And so I, I uh, am on the committee, but I obviously am doing stuff related to agriculture. They mm-hmm. have transportation folks. Um, you know, they have uh, other FEMA folks on there. I'm trying to think the whole the whole gamut of individuals, private companies. So the utility companies and uh, water companies are they're the ones really wanting to use that technology to look at infrastructure. So they can look at power lines where you couldn't. You know, normally it would take weeks to get back in there because of the, the all the trees knocked down. Now they can easily fly over that so they can look at the infrastructure lines, they can plan on what kind of equipment they need to bring in and so forth. The water management folks are looking at it along the same lines as what you were just talking about. I can look at where my flood prone areas are and then I can start to make you know decisions on how to adapt my resources um, for that water. And so that, that, that they're doing that. I'm not so much involved in that, but that is happening. If we look at our legislature, this is the year of water. We've obviously had the algae blooms and all that kind of stuff. And so the legislature, you know, they're looking at how, how can ag do stuff that will uh, limit its impact on our environment. And so what, but we're finding with this technology, you know, this is where we go from a multispectral sensor to a hyperspectral sensor. And so what we're finding on that hyperspectral sensor is that we're now able to uh, look at uh, correlations of flying that drone uh, and nutrient status in the plant. And so this then becomes very important in agriculture, not only to help with limiting the amount of fertilizer being put out, but more importantly, it gives us the technology to the next step of what we call precision agriculture and precision application where we put the fertilizer only where it's needed. And so that's, that is going to be a huge impact um, if, as that work continues. Yeah, that, that's actually truly amazing that that's even possible. Um, you know, that was, it's, I call it serendipitous because obviously I'm a, a water, a lot of my work revolves around water efficiency mm-hmm. work. And so that's what we were trying to actually do is go in there with a the thermal sensor and along with the hyperspectral see what we could see. Um, we're not quite there on the water stress. We're, we're, we're getting better on it. But yeah. what came out of it is this hyperspectral sensor was uh, we could get very good correlations between the images and what was actually going on in the plant. Wow. And so we're, we're going to continue that work. Um, you know, we, obviously for us to feel very comfortable about it, we need, you know, two, three, four years of data. Yeah. That data needs to, to show. So we have one year of data. We'll be starting the next year of data. We'll collection here very shortly. But if everything holds, that's how this technology for producers becomes so valuable. No, that that's that is truly amazing to hear about. I I did most of my undergraduate program in animal science, so we think about mm-hmm. it kind of differently than than like being able to see the like the nutrient content or water content of a plant like that. Um, right. That's that's truly phenomenal, um, and so that's exciting to be kind of on the brink of that technological oh, yeah. development. 
Yeah. And so, you know, as, as you said, you're in animal science. That's what my degree is, is in animal science. I never thought I'd be doing water. But <laughs> these are the other things we start looking at is that one producer called me. He got a calf lost out in the swamp. He wanted to see if he could find it on the drone. And yeah. although I wasn't able to do go down there, thermal imagery and looking at body heat signatures can easily find a calf, lost calf in woods. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, uses for this technology. So. Yeah, that's amazing. All right. Well, my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Streaming Science. It was a pleasure to share a little more about the science of superstorms. Be sure to check out the next episode at streamingscience.com or give us a shout out on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Zoe Bowden. Thank you so much for listening.